to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, son. I'm Luke. I'm Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Welcome to the greatest generation. Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. This is the week between we're dealing with right now. Yeah, we're in the interregnum right now. Are you going to take any kind of break at all? Yeah, we're taking a little break. My wife and I are renting a little cabin in the woods. What? Yeah, we're going to go... If it's warm enough, we might let the dog swim in a river. Whoa. Yeah. Come back with a fish (laughs) in his mouth? Ready for you to grill? (laughs) That would be the shock of my life if my dog... (laughs) caught anything <laughs> uh, it would it'd be a shock if a a fish didn't successfully attack your dog mm-hmm. and like yeah. bring him yeah, down the, the fish would come back with the dog in its mouth <laughs> much more likely you going up into the mountains where it's going to be snowy not snowy we're going to go to the russian river which river is, dasvidanya yeah i'm excited about this episode we're here to talk about adam this is an episode that draws on the mythos of the barzan wormhole which you don't think about the Barzan wormhole episode of TNG as being, like, hugely important in Star Trek, except it super is. This Joe Minoski, the writer of the episode, yeah, like, he took a long time off of Star Trek, went and wrote a couple of specs, this being one of them, and, like, it's amazing how you don't know at the time what you can make out of an original idea. Right. And that Barzan episode made this possible in a really interesting way. I don't think that DS9 exists without that episode. The wormhole is kind of the, like, that's the first time we had a wormhole in Star Trek, and and it's really, like, the foundational idea of DS9 is seated in that. Like, what if you had a way to get way across the galaxy? Wouldn't that be a great economic opportunity? You don't get non. Yeah, there's a, there's a, a key discovery character that, that comes out of that episode. Yum, yum. All of DS9 and this episode of Voyager. Your Star Trek is non-non without the, the <laughs> wormhole, isn't it? I know. Man, now that we've watched this, we should like go back and revisit that episode of, of uh, TNG or something. Oh, I'm planning on cutting in clips from our episode of Greatest Gen into this. <laughs> Probably the worst episode of season three so far, right? Without a doubt. I, as I was watching this, I was thinking this was going up on Mount Armus. Uh, that sounds like a lot of work. I don't. I wouldn't wish that on anyone. Well, if I don't end up doing that, I'm going to cut that part out. Okay. <laughs> because I have a week between two that I'm hoping to take a rest during, and, and we'll see if that ever happens. Yeah, yeah. we got to take it easy on ourselves. Look at what's happening to us, man. Your sofa is soaked. Yeah. My puppy's teeth are falling out. It's <laughs> chaos around here. Yeah. We could use a week. Nobody's going to know what either of those things are in reference to because yeah. that was before we heated the mics up when we were yeah. talking about your dog's dental issues and my wet couch. But yeah. you guys can just use your imaginations. <laughs> I'm sure you can find a way to connect the two problems pretty easily <laughs> if you wanted to. But uh, an episode here, Ben, about making connections, huh? Mm, Connections from Star Trek Voyager to a previous Next Generation episode. Every story is a a homecoming story, Adam. Really? Somebody said that to me one time about writing... Was it at your high school homecoming dance? (laughs) Yes. You were at the Wallflower, and the jock comes up, and he's like, Ben, keep your head up, man. Everyone's story is a homecoming story. Yeah. I did not have homecoming at my high school. I'm not really sure what homecoming is. Oh, that's right. Because you went to chess camp as high school. Yeah. I remember. I've I've never gone to a a institution of learning that had a football team associated with it. So is homecoming specifically a football thing? A giant popularity contest, basically. Maybe that's research you can do while we're talking about Star Trek Voyager Season 3, Episode 5, False Prophets. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes, I'm not turning around. (laughs) An episode that begins with a Janeway's log, where Mm -hmm. she asks a fairly straightforward question. What's up with this winking wormhole? Yeah. 
like wagging around all, all around here. It seems like it opened six months ago, but it's not there now. What gives? It's all willy-nilly on their sensors. Kim and Chakotay are observing some strange behaviors. They can't figure this out, and neither can Janeway herself. It's wagging around the Delta Quadrant like a tail on a dog. They find some evidence that locals in this system have had contact with the A-Quad because there's some energy readings that indicate a replicator has been used on the, uh, on the M-Class planet. And... Uh, this is very interesting because it is starting to look like maybe the Voyager has a way home. The look on Janeway's face into the theme is a seductive kind of intrigue. Yeah. Like, it's a very unique facial expression she's got. It is, yeah. This is... um. A, a type of episode I feel like they did a lot in season one and maybe a little bit in season too but like i feel like we haven't gotten in a while the the like hey maybe this is the way we get home and then it gets snatched away like episode format what we get are like a a number of people excited at the prospect of going into this wormhole getting out on the other side in the alpha quadrant and being home this episode is meant to be the broad comedy that we end up experiencing but up front i think it would have been interesting to see people making the mistake of, like, like if it were Kim, I'm throwing my replicated clarinet <laughs> into the fucking trash. Like, getting rid of all their temporary shit in advance of, of making it home. Right. Dumping right. all of their summer camp girlfriends and right. boyfriends. Yeah. Tuvok replicating a, a five-gallon bucket of sexual lubricant. The pal <laughs> will not know what hit her. She won't be able to walk right for a week. I will be... Melding with that ass shortly. (laughs) Making awful decisions based on this expectation. No one does that because that wouldn't be funny the way this episode needs to be. I appreciate your enthusiasm. Nearby, this wormhole is a Class M planet. You know what that means. You're going to have some people down there. And who knows what sort of loaf they'll be wearing. Any kind is possible. Literally any kind. Any, all, or none are our choices. <laughs> we got to launch a probe to take pictures of what these people are wearing if we're ever going to go down there and explore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they launch a high-resolution outfit surveillance probe. The episode is split into two missions. There's the mission to figure out what the hell is up with the replicator being on this planet, and how do we get ourselves up inside this wormhole? Yeah. Chicote and Paris are on the planet mission. Kim and BLT are on the wormhole mission. Chicote and Paris beam down in a pretty classic Star Trek town square mm-hmm. in uh, fairly uh, fairly dirty clothes. I guess the, the local fashion is to wear very dirty clothing. You fall into some crud or something? They're doing that surreptitious tricordering that, uh, that Starfleets do when they're among the primitives. And... Uh, you know, trying to keep a low profile, but they run into a local bard uh, mm-hmm. played by that guy that played the hotel manager in Ghostbusters. Hey, everybody. It's Michael Lenson. Yeah. I had no idea to be so much. I won't pay it. He is one of the classic that guys. Is this really his first Star Trek appearance? Because his name sort of lends itself to being on Star Trek. Yeah, really does. He's a bard that's sort of on the grift. You know, the first verse is free. But then, uh, then you got to pay if you want to keep hearing the mythology of this world. He just walks around telling the origin story of this planet to everyone. He's the guy I hate running into in any major city who's handing out CDs, but if you make the mistake of being handed one, mm-hmm. you're kind of railroaded into having to buy it. You can't give it back. Right, right. It's a powerful grift, and uh, yeah. he's very interested in their shoes. A lot, uh, a lot made of the shoes that... Uh, Chicote and Paris are wearing and I was infuriated at, at how much the camera refused to reveal the shoes every t- like in this in this first scene he's like boy those are some amazing kicks you guys are rocking I really respect the hype beast game and it's like cut to the shoes cut to the shoes I want to see what he's talking about we really don't see them hardly at all and what is Almost as infuriating to me as that is how often we see the shoes belonging to Arador and Cole, which are like 
the curly Q court gesture style shoes. Right. No one comments on them. Yeah, no one amazed by those. And when we do finally get uh, a cut to Tom Paris's shoes, they're just like Merrells. I, I don't know what that is. Totally unremarkable trail shoes from REI. Hard to believe, isn't it? They have to exchange these to buy some ears because everybody in the town is required to wear ear necklaces. Uh, this is explained to them by another uh, businessman who happens to have a bindle full of ears. And uh, yeah. Chakotay's like, so that's how they do it in their tribe. Yeah, evidently uh, the leaders of this town are really obsessed with the movie Deer Hunter mm-hmm. and specifically the POW camp scene. <laughs> Must be some sort of fetish. Back up on the Voyager, uh, BLT and Kim are coming up with ideas for how to catch a rising wormhole. <laughs> they got to figure out a way to kind of fix it in space for long enough for the Voyager to go through it. That's the thing about wormholes, right? Yeah. Like you want to set up the conditions just right. You want to polarize the instability. You definitely want to have the third glass of wine. Mm-hmm. And finally, and most importantly, you want to take just an incredibly good shower. Like the best <laughs> shower you've ever taken. <laughs> and then you're ready for some wormhole action. Yeah. If you're lucky. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, more often than not, you're just going to have a hangover from that yeah. third or fourth glass of wine. The the prep is no guarantee of success, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, so this is the challenge, right? they got to catch this thing. Catch it if you can. Uh, we haven't figured that part out yet. So it's exciting. I mean, it does, it does seem like they may be able, be able to actually make this work. They've got an idea to kind of shoot some kind of particles and polarize space to, like, magnetically draw the wormhole to a fixed point. But uh, we don't get much more uh, on that. Uh, I think you've brought this up as a conflict before, Ben, but, like, the idea of a Maquis working on the project that may get them home and put that same Maquis into Federation prison (laughs) is a conflict unregarded here yeah or at any point i feel like this episode is too light to really engage with that but it would be nice to have blt go like so you're gonna put in a good word for us right captain (laughs) (laughs) back on the planet paris is rightfully pissed about being barefoot before there is a gong banger dropped in the town square (laughs) and this is the thing that announces three extremely stacked women and an MC introduced the holy sages yeah it's just unrelenting bangers between the gong the women the MC the Ferengi and then finally the replicator that's the mic drop there at the end and Chakotay has to radio up to Janeway to let her know that shit is going down and it's oh shit those are Ferengi eyes too commercial this is a event that happens fairly often the sages invite one lucky townsperson to (laughs) approach them to both ask a question and also to get a better angle at the prodigious underboob happening (laughs) on stage. (laughs) There is more underboob in this episode than I feel like has ever happened in the history of Star Trek. It's a lot. The Ferengi love their underboob. They really do. Big fans. These actors are from Baywatch. I looked them up. Oh, yeah. Like, they've got Baywatch credits. Uh, I mean, not a lot of minor television <laughs> actors in the 90s didn't have Baywatch credits. But but if you're an actor of a certain boob, mm-hmm. you're going to get work on two types of programming. Right. Baywatch and Ferengi-centric episodes of Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that the dudes playing the Ferengis are the same uh, guys that played the Ferengi in the Barzan wormhole episode. One of them is. Oh, one of them is, okay. Yeah, the one with lines in that TNG episode was able to come back, reprise the character. The other guy in the TNG episode had no lines and was a stand-in. Oh, wow. And has been a stand-in on Star Trek for years and years. Like, has hundreds of episode credits uh, being like Robert Picardo's hand stand-in. A finger jockey. We don't think the same way as the face and body boys do. And like back of the head or like leg stand in like he's he's a guy he's like he's a working guy but he's not oh, yeah. a Actually, dialogue guy. I'm on Memory Alpha. Um, it says why they didn't uh, cast him to reprise his role here. Did you see this? It says they didn't want to give him lines because his voice sounds like this. 
He wouldn't make a plausible Frankie because his voice is just like this. Poor J.R. Quinones. <laughs> cursed with that voice. Sorry. Leslie Jordan ably steps in for uh, J.R. Quinones. Yeah, does a great job. And, <laughs> and a perfectly reasonable voice. This guy that's groveling to the sages, as the Ferengi have styled themselves, is a sandalsmith uh, whose sandal business is failing because he has to divert too many of the profits toward feeding his large family full of small children and, and elderly parents, and none of them are being exploited and put to work as free labor. Is this a shoe-based economy that we're witnessing here? <laughs> it really seems that way. There is so much attention given to the footwear and its importance and trading for them. I don't know if you noticed that this was a uh, guest script by Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, exploit thy family is the lesson that they take advantage of this moment to spread to their faithful flock. And they replicate him a copy of the rules of acquisition they charge him for it, and then they go back into their temple. I mean, this event lasts less than two minutes. Could you imagine if this was your work day? Yeah, I mean, exploitation is a great way to have a pretty easy life. There's a post-event McLaughlin group Issue one. where Chakotay tells everyone about what they saw down there. These Ferengi have created a mythology that centers them within it. Yeah. And this idea just grosses out the whole room, including Neelix, who gets his own react here. And I didn't know why he got his react until much later. Uh-huh. I thought at the at the time I was like, huh, that's interesting. Like, why would he care? Especially because he's not like they give him an insert, but they don't give him an expression. Yeah. Yeah. Before we're off to the rest of the to the people. I wanted Picard to just pop into this episode periodically to show on his body how deep of shit they were in. (laughs) W slash R slash T violations of the Prime Directive, because it's pretty deep right now. This population had a uniquely vulnerable mythology for the Ferengi to exploit, and uh, they've co-opted it and are now using it to kind of turn the entire planet into just a profit extraction operation to benefit the two of them. Well, it's interesting you brought up the Prime Directive, Ben, because Tuvok is there to remind Janeway that the Ferengi aren't a part of the Federation, and they don't give a shit about things like that. And she goes, shut the fuck up, Tuvok. Just shut the fuck up about the Prime Directive. Obviously, it doesn't matter. The Federation is partially responsible for what's happened, and therefore duty-bound to correct the situation. You know who would be great to have at a meeting like this? You know, someone who's just a chill fucking hang, who (laughs) isn't trying to ruin my ideas or my programs? Tuvix. Tuvix would be great right now. (laughs) Who who gives less than half a shit about the Prime Directive? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So they get Tuvok to, to quiet down, and then they arrest... These two Ferengi by transporting them off the planet's surface. I think this is great. I I loved it. They bring them right up into the transporter room, and the confrontation takes place in the transporter room. Mm -hmm. I loved seeing the, like, drop jaws of the people in the the holy vault or whatever when uh, when the Ferengi disappear. Yeah, this guy Kafar is their, like, main valet. Yeah. That works for them. And as soon as they get beamed away, Kafar kicks it on their tucked velvet couch. Kafar doesn't have like a ton to do, but he does get like some character development in scenes like this, which just reveal him to be an absolute opportunist. Yeah, I mean, Kafar is there to relish in the couch (laughs) and also get hit in the face by pillows. Yeah. That's his job. And he's great at it. He loves it. So... In the transporter room, Cole and Eridor are uh, confronted by Captain Janeway, who is very angry with the horrible thing that they have done in uh, positioning themselves as deities to these primitive humanoids. And Eridor is actually pretty shrewd in how he 
argues against this. He makes the case that maybe their cosmology is true. Maybe we are, in fact, predicted in the, by their prophets, and, uh, and maybe these prophets are, in fact, ours to keep. You've taken these people's religion and manipulated it for your own selfish purposes. Uh, I, I, my wealth doesn't come from offerings alone. I was shocked by a couple of things in this scene, Ben. First, I was shocked that Janeway told them straight up about Voyager being stranded in the Delta Quadrant. Like, why even disclose that to them? (laughs) I'm not saying lie to the Ferengi, but you don't have to say that they're stuck there, too. You could just say you're a Federation starship in the Delta Quadrant, and our job is to take you back. Right, right. But the idea of, like, finding common cause in in their both being stuck, I... I didn't like that at all, leverage-wise. And it, two... It reveals too much. Ardor's pants pattern points directly at his crank <laughs> in a way that seems totally intentional. When he's up on the transporter pad, there are these waves in his pants pattern that, like, gravitate toward <laughs> the center of his junk. Yeah, I thought... I, I interpreted those as more, like, emanating out from his junk, personally. Well, I mean, they drew my eyes, that's for sure. (laughs) Where else are your eyes supposed to go with a pattern like this? Yeah. When you're a costume designer, you know what you're doing, right? (laughs) I think so. That was also in Quentin Tarantino's script. That's it. That's fucking it! So Janeway tells the Ferengi that they're coming with when they leave and go back for the Alpha Quadrant, and Cole is just devastated. Cole is like the, the Lenny of the George and Lenny here. And Arador steps up and makes the case here that maybe they are sages. Yeah. And he does this with all the panache of a megachurch televangelist. Right. Like he's practically clapping and inviting organ music behind him. What would you be leaving them with? Tell us, Arador, tell us. It's a scene that ends in such a way that it kind of made me think that he changed Janeway's mind. And they get beamed back down. He did. He basically says, prove I'm not a sage. And she's like, well, you got me there. Let him go, Tuvok. <laughs> Bad scene for Janeway. Not a great Janeway scene. I was shocked. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I like the... You can't I let li- a Ferengi beat you in a war of intellects. <laughs> yeah. It's like trying to match wits with a Sicilian when death is on the line. So there's a McLaughlin group after this. Yeah. Issue two. Where they gotta discuss they gotta discuss the plan ahead because Ardor made such a compelling argument. They can't just kidnap these gods, right? Right. Because it will almost surely lead to chaos among the locals if they just run away with their deities. These are job creators, Ben. <laughs> we gotta keep them happy. <laughs> right. We can't tax their capital gains. That would uh, disincentivize them from making investments that uh, stimulate the economy. Chaos would happen if you tried. Right. So the idea is to just compel the Ferengi by making it more of a profit motive for them to leave. Right. It's it's sort of profit inception. (laughs) They want to convince the Ferengi that it'll be better for them if they... If they come with the Voyager, and uh, it's one of those classic TV tropes where they solve the problem off camera. <laughs> if Inception involved like the spinning of a piece of latinum mm-hmm. instead of a top, <laughs> that's what's happening here. Yeah. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. So, Arador and Cole are back in their. <laughs> Scrooge McDuck treasure room uh, when they get a, a knock on the door they send Kafar to go check who it is and in thrusts the unmistakable cane of the Grand Nagus. And holding this cane is a Ferengi with Neelix's voice who introduces himself as the Grand Proxy. Save the groveling for the Nagus himself. I was kind of hoping for a Wallace Shawn cameo here. I mean, I don't know how you could possibly have explained it, (laughs) you know, given the the rules of the world, but that would have been fun. Fun bit of business for Ethan Phillips to put the Ferengi ears back on again. Yeah. He makes a pretty convincing argument in his own right about who he is. He's in deep cover right now. Yeah. This is tough stuff. And his cover appears to be working because Arador you know, pushes back lightly 
at the idea of being recalled back to Ferenginar, but eventually Neelix as Grand Proxy, fairly persuasive, and they're forced to capitulate to him. Yeah. I mean, initially they're trying to argue for, like, somehow the Ferengi have figured out a way to send this powerful representative of of the government, so we'll make a deal to pay 20% of our profits to the Nagus to to keep this this sweet deal we have going here. But uh, Neelix says, uh, no, in fact, you have to come back with me. You have to you have to see the Nagus in person. Got to write a speech also to these town people. And we're seizing all of your all of your dough on top of that. And he grabs a couple of bags with dollar signs painted on the outside of them. And he says, you've got 20 minutes to write a speech that will explain all of this to the rubes that you've tricked into this deal out in the town square. That way, it's easier to exploit them the next time. I'm going to come back in 20. Uh, that speech better be ready. You know, you should probably begin with the underboobs <laughs> and, your, and your list of apologies and thanks you're handing out. Yeah. All of those Princess Leias you have running around here, they're the ones that you need to apologize to the most. Let my underboob go. <laughs> When Neelix was in Takar land, <laughs> let my underboob go. <laughs> it's crazy. Kafara's been listening to all of this, and there's no Kafara react. He just gets taken out into the town square with the Grand Proxy. Yeah, he's he's like, uh, that, that guy's an even bigger sage than y'all, so deuces. Yeah. yeah. Out in the town square, Neelix is giving away coins like, He's an old throwing breadcrumbs to pigeons, mm-hmm. tossing it all around, making it rain out there. It's like he's in the club throwing frangs. Neelix would bring change to the club. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the townspeople cannot fucking believe this. Like the, the sandal maker guy pulls yeah. Kafar aside and he's like, what the fuck is going on? He's got the opposite problem from before now. Now he's he's got more demand for his footwear than he can supply. Yeah. Both things, a, a, a real challenge for a business. Yeah. It, I, I thought it was interesting that the Sandalman did not go hit Neelix up for a fistful of money, though. Agreed. It was weird. So maybe it was a lie. Maybe he was just there in the beginning to just get a glimpse of that underboob and maybe get a handout. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe he flipped his copy of the rules of acquisition for more than 10 francs. There you go. That makes sense. Yeah. He's a more shrewd businessman than he lets on. Inside the vault, Ardor and Cole are furiously trying to figure out a way out of this. Like, certainly there's something in the rules of acquisition and all of the addenda that would, you know, provide a rebuttal to this. But, But what they come up with finally is that there isn't anything in the text they're gonna have to come up with something themselves and you are just allowed to make up rules and the rule they make up here is kill the messenger yeah (laughs) pretty clever guys what do you need the rules of acquisition for anyway if you can just make shit up this guy came all the way across the galaxy to shake you down and you think that killing him is gonna stop people from coming all the way across the galaxy? Yeah, these guys aren't very smart. This episode is meant to be light and kind of funny, but I did kind of think they should do the math on that. And they should also do the math on like, what a weird coincidence that the Federation and a proxy of the Grand Nagus showed up right at the same time. This is Little Green Men-esque in terms of of tone and seriousness, right? I guess so, yeah. You're asking uncomfortable questions, Ben. Yeah. Questions this episode doesn't want to answer. We'd rather see Arador and Cole swinging swords at the Grand Proxy once he goes back inside the vault. Yeah. What do they need swords for? I don't know. I guess they didn't have uh, whips to whip him with. I wish we saw the crashed shuttle. Yeah. To understand just how much tech they were able to to pull from it. Yeah, I don't know if we mentioned that they've uh, they've erected a new field around their temple that will prevent beam outs from now on. So yeah. this is a sword fight where uh, Neelix does not have any defenses and does not have any way of just uh, escaping quickly. And I did think he kind of gave it up too quickly. Like he he kind of had them on the fences just throwing metal objects at them from across the room and then he's like I give up. I give up. 
You don't send a Neelix to do a Tuvok job, you know? Yeah. I, I laid this at the feet of Janeway. And uh, and yet yeah. another poor decision. Mm. Like Neelix totally fucks this up. He's the worst. Why why choose him for this mission? I guess he's a better actor than Tuvok would be. That's fair, but Tuvok would rather die than give it up here the way Neelix did. Right. I kind of thought, based on the staging of this scene, that what was going to happen was that they were going to keep swinging on him and then eventually hit their field generator with a sword and knock it out. Because yeah. it's kind of pushing toward that side of the room. But instead, Neelix confesses that he's there in disguise. He's not really a Ferengi. They they give him a big tug on his lobes to verify that he doesn't keep his balls in the same place that they do. Doesn't that hurt? I can't feel a thing. Yeah, you're going to have to go lower, guys. Yeah. And so lower. He has to flee and... Uh, and they've won again. I've got to get that platinum, get that roll metal argument. <laughs> a good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time and... They send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Outside the vault, Neelix has to tell Paris and Chakotay how badly he sucks at this away mission. And then right on cue, that poet busker 
mm-hmm. from the beginning of the episode starts his shit again. <laughs> but he's so bad at his con that he can't even keep the eye patch thing straight. Come on, man. It almost seems like he's forgotten that he's tried this on them. Yeah. I mean, you know, he he's running this con on multiple people a day, so it's uh, possible that he's just... Lost, you know, doesn't have a great memory for who he has and hasn't tried it on. This idiot is pretty useful to them in the moment, though, right? Because he knows all of the lyrics to the poem yeah. on which their entire culture is based. And so Chakotay's like, can you skip to the end and tell me how the last lyric goes? Yeah, the bard is like, hmm, I don't seem to remember. And Chakotay's like, would some Merrells jog your memory? <laughs> yeah, they certainly do. Yeah. And... He goes on to describe something magical that Voyager could make happen pretty easily with their technology. Three new stars appeared that night. And with the ringing of the bell, the sages knew where they must dwell. Paid off with the shoes, he reveals that the sages from the heavens are meant to leave with the holy pilgrim. So this is a new role to cast Neelix as, and... uh, there's kind of a weird scene where like it's nighttime and Neelix gets up on the on the dais in front of the temple and announces to anyone that will listen, which is no one, that he's the holy pilgrim. Yeah. And it takes <laughs> Paris and Chicote to be the hype men yeah. for this moment. <laughs> They're the guys watching the uh the three card Monty that, that put the big bets in up front to yeah. to help to help inspire more. Uh, of the rubes so the sages come out of their temple and they're like you're not you're no pilgrim and he and he's like prove that i'm not it's kind of the same logic that they used with janeway and there's a bit of business where they've got to synchronize what neelix says with the things that that the townspeople see right right so part of the religious story is that there will be three stars that appear in the night sky yeah and so when Neelix mentions this, Chakotay's on the blower asking for some torps to be shot in an arrangement that looks this way. Yeah. How many torpedoes do they have now? God, wasting three on this. Three sucks. last torpedoes? It seems like you could just shoot three bois out there. An emergency buoy. And stick something incendiary on them and not burn three torps yeah. on this job. Maybe they can fire them and then go collect them later because they didn't actually explode. Good call. I like that. Just a thought. They Maybe. should spend a lot of time on this episode uh, <laughs> scrutinizing that element of it. Yeah, that would be cool. So as the ledger demand of establishing Neelix's bona fides as the Holy Pilgrim is uh, is being advanced... We also need to get the field shut down that the that the Ferengi set up so that they can beam them out of there. And uh, Tom Paris and Chakotay get a lead them back chant going among the crowd. This has really got the, the crowd whipped into a lather. Nothing like a, a three-syllable chant to really whip up the dumbs into a lather. <laughs> yeah. So uh, effective. Yeah, yeah. They start gathering kindling and uh, erecting poles so that they can Joan of Arc all the Ferengi back to wherever they came from. Because the prophecy says they leave on wings of fire, yeah. specifically. Kafar is so excited about this, he starts banging a gong. He's almost as excited as Ardor is because there's a three shot here. Like, it's a really nice composition where, like, we get torches on either side and the three tied up in the middle of the frame. Yeah, yeah. And Neelix is, like, facing camera freaked out. And Ardor's behind him, like, almost relishing this moment. Yeah. Ardor, as we have established, a total opportunist. You know, if he inherits the temple... We cross the line to a a conversation Ardor has with Cole, kind of Soto Voce-like, where he's like, man, we really had a great run. <laughs> Seven years of fucking underboob and umox. Like, <laughs> hell yeah. And Cole's like, ready to die. <laughs> we died doing something we loved, so that yeah. was cool. <laughs> yeah, I like the payoff from, from the expression we get, though. That was neat. Mm-hmm. I also liked that tying up the Ferengi and getting the fire going was such a chaotic scene for the townspeople Mm -hmm. that Chakotay and Paris are basically able to talk openly about getting the rest of their plan done, (laughs) uh, like without anybody going like, hey, who are these guys and what are they talking about? (laughs) 
Yeah, they're able to operate out in the open a little easier, which is what allows them to go inside the temple yeah. and phaser blast the shield that's been stopping them from beaming. If I was one of those townspeople, I would be going into the temple too. Like, get some looting done while everybody's distracted with the whole be- burning these guys alive thing. Yeah. If there was ever a time for looting, it's now. <laughs> I I have to say, I mean, like, I... I, I understand why Kafar, you know, is, is working so hard to get his bosses burned alive, but he did sort of take his eye off the prize. Like, he should have locked the, the temple up behind him. I mean, when you are the ancillary percussionist in, <laughs> in a band of any kind, it's a real thrill to hit the gong. Anytime you get gong opportunity... gong opportunity, if you will. That's your whole focus. That's the dream. And that's, I think, why Kafar isn't paying much attention to anything else. He's the gongman. He is the gongman. And uh, (laughs) I kind of feel like the way he hits that gong is like somebody quitting their job. Like, fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. You're cool. Fuck you. I'm out. So they uh, Paris and Chakotay uh, phaser the uh, field generator. Uh, it it blows not real big, <laughs> and uh, and the Voyager is able to beam the Ferengi out just in time uh, before <laughs> the flames start lapping at their legs. Which kind of sells the prophecy in its own right, too. Right, it really sells the prophecy. the The people believe that they have seen what they have been, what has been predicted to happen. You know, and... what wouldn't have worked in this scene the uh, the Star Trek Discovery style flash beaming (laughs) it would have been too fast yeah yeah a nice slow beam is what you want everybody heads back up to the bridge and they uh after uh you know Janeway scolds the Ferengi one last time and uh up on the bridge they get word from Six Bay our our one shot with the doctor in this episode Mm -hmm. who seems to be totally fine and not compromised in any way as we were wondering at the end of the last episode this is what they're going to do, huh? They're just going to sideline the doctor until we've forgotten about what he's been through and then bring him <laughs> back like everything's fine. Yeah. Cool. But, but uh, one of the security guys that was on Ferengi duty got bonked on the noggin. The Ferengi are escaping in their shuttlecraft. and. Uh, Did you get this? Like, why is it the Ferengi shuttle? Like, uh, they crashed. They crashed, but uh, I guess... I guess the Voyager beamed it up and put it in their shuttle bay. I watched this episode fairly closely. If that was a moment in the episode, I missed it completely. Yeah, I think Chakotay says, we beamed up your shuttle and also we fixed it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I guess I missed that bit of dialogue. Yeah. Uh, They may have cut that part for time, but... (laughs) Yeah, so the the Ferengi are trying to go back to the planet. They're not going for the wormhole, but uh, they do some sort of graviton pulse to foil the Voyager's tractor beam. So the Voyager can't grab their shuttle, can't beam them out, but uh, it causes their shuttle to be drawn into the wormhole. And uh, not only that, it, it screws the wormhole up. It, like, it... It is now destabilized at both ends. Which means it's all fucked, Ben. It's over. There's no getting into the wormhole now. Options. There are none. For an episode that is so bad for Janeway, this moment at the end is a great Janeway moment. She basically gets up, dusts herself off, straightens her fucking tie Mm -hmm. and gets back to work like the awful truth of this moment barely registers on her face before she gets back to setting the course back home again yeah pretty great captain moment by her but by obscuring how heartbroken she's got to be yeah and because everyone else is everyone else is uh but this is like one of those leadership moments like we just have to resolve to keep trying and uh, probably the most crushing of the we got the rug pulled out from under us style of episode of Voyager that we've gotten so far at the end. Yeah. Like it goes yeah. from being like a pretty like silly light episode to feeling real ennui at the end. I sort of wish that's where it ended because we do get one final shot on the surface of the planet where Kafar's giving away 
money from the vault in the town square and they all watch Voyager leaving yeah. via warp. Like, do we need this? And he's also like making it rain again. And I just don't buy that for Kafar. I don't think that his character was established as being the kind of guy that just like makes it rain, you know? Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty much in the Robert McKee book that like the the character getting hit with pillows in Act One is never going to be the character giving away money in Act Three. It's flaccid, sloppy writing. <laughs> Everyone knows that, right? So yeah, I yeah I didn't need the button either because I wanted to sit in the ennui. Yeah, yeah, it's uh it's subscri- it, it's subtraction by addition, as you sometimes put it. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds like something I'd say. <laughs> what would you say to the question, did you like this episode, Ben? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullying, I don't like friends, and I don't like you. I do like this episode. I think it's really fun to uh, to conclude a story that is implied uh, all the way back in TNG. I, I think you can enjoy it whether or not you've seen that episode, but it's more fun if you have. I kind of wish they'd found a way to have an episode of DS9 that involves the return of these guys or something, you know? I still have hope that we'll see them again. Yeah. Given that we didn't see the destruction of their shuttle, yeah. and they just went off to wherever the tale of this thing ends up. And, and given how many Star Trek shows are being made at this moment in time. That's what I'm saying. I mean, we're making every Star Trek show. So the Cole and Arador series, yeah. you got to believe that's been pitched. <laughs> I mean, that I feel like a Lower Decks could uh, could really capitalize on a Cole and Arador showing up. Yeah, except uh, you don't want J.R. Quinones in there as a voice actor. I think. Uh, hey, how, how many takes do you want me to do? You want to, me to do some efforts like my character's running? Mike McMahon, big fan of your show. (laughs) Yeah, I like this episode too, Ben, for exactly the same reason. I mean, you check in your brain at the coat check before watching this one. (laughs) You have a great time for 42 minutes. Then then you put your brain back in and and you get along with the rest of your day, you know? Like, uh, we're good for one of these every season. A weird Ferengi episode, and... I think the only downside to it is that we might have uh, cashed this one in yeah. for maybe the series. Like, I, I don't know anything about what we're going to get for the next few seasons, but uh, we might have burned up the Ferengi for, like, that's a wrap on the Ferengi for Star <laughs> Trek Voyager is a thing I hope they're not saying. I, I, think, th- I think they may well be, Adam, and, and I agree that that's kind of sad. Maybe we'll find... A version of that in the Delta Quadrant. Yeah. That's what I'm hoping for. The Delta Quadrant contains multitudes, so who knows? Yeah. Well, the Priority One message inbox contains multitudes of messages, Ben. You want to go see what we have over there? Okay. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. The interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is from Biff. It is to Ben and Adam. Oh, boy. The message goes like this. Dope job. Keep it up. <laughs> and then the request to play whatever your easiest drop, copy, paste is at this moment of editing. God help you if you use voiceover in your work, my friends. God help you. It's flaccid, sloppy writing. Oh, that's interesting. So, like, whatever we've got chambered in the cache of copy, paste oh, is going to go like. there. Oh, that'll be interesting or confusing, depending on <laughs> what happens there. <laughs> yeah. Um, hey, Biff, that's uh, two coats of wax on the P1. Uh, our next priority one message is from Maureen, and it's to David, and it goes like this. As a mom who has watched every series of Star Trek first run, it was important for me to share my love of TNG with my three sons as they were growing up. Now I am having so much fun finally sharing my love of DS9, Voyager, and this podcast with my youngest and obviously best son, David. Don't tell your brothers, but you are my favorite. 
love mom. It is me, Maureen, who is now a mother of many sons. <laughs> I do not remember how I found myself in this circumstance. <laughs> All I know is that I like David the best out of the three, which would be very hurtful for the other two if he revealed this terrible information. Well, uh, thanks Maureen and Biff for those two messages. Yeah. Uh, and thanks to everyone who has submitted a Priority One message for the entire year of 2021. A, a basically full inventory of P1s. That was cool. The whole year through has, has kept our show going. Uh, slots are available for 2022. You just go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron to get yourself in the queue. Do it. And uh, and doing so goes a long way in supporting the production of the show. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda. God, it is so hard to not make it Arador and Cole, like the split <laughs> Shimoda. Like, they are relishing in the Shimoda-esque aspects of their personalities. Yeah. And like a, like a breath of fresh Shimoda air. <laughs> I would consider Neelix, but I think it's Ardor and Cole, Cole for me. What about you? I'll join you on that square, Adam. I, I, th- I mean, the, the moment for me is is the one where they like decide to kill Neelix without really thinking through the ramifications of his presence on their planet. Yeah, uh, just just profoundly dumb guys. These two. I think if you're casting them or or bringing one of them back, as it was like casting for laugh. Yeah. It's got to be part of this, and you get a you get a number of mustache twirling laughs here in this episode that are that are really big fun. Uh, these are actors clearly enjoying their work, yeah, and uh, and characters enjoying their dirty work. So I th- I think between us, between our half Shimodas, yeah. each each of these characters gets one full Shimoda. Hey, good for them. Yeah, it's really nice. Really nice to see characters get Shimoda's when they deserve them. I'm really glad you didn't give your Shimoda to J.R. Quinones, a guy <laughs> who probably doesn't deserve it. Hey, what gives? Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Adam, why don't you head over to the Game of Buttholes, the will of the caretaker at gach.biz slash game. I'll tell you about season three, episode six. Remember. Torres is troubled by a series of dreams in which she seems to be reliving another woman's life. That that woman is being held at the top of a cliff by a young Tuvok. <laughs> Tuvok is who's trying his best not to drop her. Save me, Tuvok, you fucking coward. <laughs> <laughs> is that what she says? <laughs> I mean, if it was Torres, it would be. Yeah, it would. Yeah, totally. Well, Ben, uh, I am excited to see that episode, and I'm excited to be over at the Game of Buttholes, The Will of the Caretaker, uh, where a new square has been added. I don't know if you saw this, but it is the uh, the J.R. Quinones square. Oh. If we land on it, it means we have to do the entire episode in that awful voice. Oh, no. Nobody will live, listen to our show ever again. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Oh, I'm very glad that's not true. Uh, we're currently on square 25. A couple squares ahead. We've got the Naked Now bathtub episode. Ooh. <laughs> which, I mean, I'll probably end up making the JR voice. Yeah. That whole episode as the water cools. Mm-hmm. That was the challenge last time. I got too hot and then too cold. Uh, and that's that's pretty much it. That's the only square we're in danger of hitting. Here goes nothing. Roll that bone, Adam. I landed on it, Ben. <laughs> I really don't want to land on it. I never want to do an episode like that again. Adam really, really hated doing the Naked Now last time, and uh, and now we have to do it again. I mean, the 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 reason for the game is that sometimes we do things that we don't want to do. 
Yeah. I mean, after a year like this, it's super fun to, <laughs> to be reminded once again, sometimes you have to do something you don't want to do. Cool. Wow. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to start 2022 in a bathtub on this show. Which will mean uh, it'll start just as poorly as 2021 did. Yeah. I'm sure glad that's one of your edits, Ben. Oh yeah. Yeah. It does fall to me, doesn't it? Um, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, <laughs> I mean, fuck us, right? Yeah. <laughs> we get what we deserve. We do. We uh, we made this board game. So. You know, if we didn't make so much fun of J.R. Quinones, I think we would have been safe. But I think karmically, yeah. we invited that on ourselves. Oh, boy. <laughs> um. We have a uh, we have our, our new producer starting very soon. I don't think it would be fair to have an employee edit an episode recorded in that way. Yeah, how soon do you want this person to quit? <laughs> we should it. probably just say that we're hiring a producer again now. What? And, uh... I can't believe that you're the one of us that gambles when you roll so unluckily. <laughs> That's right, right? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, that'll be next week here on The Greatest Generation. In the meantime, we'd sure appreciate uh, folks leaving a nice review for our show on Apple Podcast or their podcatcher of choice or recommending the show to a friend. Uh, helping us grow the size of our audience is a great way to support what we do. And it yeah, doesn't cost I mean, you a thing. This being the last week of the year... Uh, thanks to everyone who's already done that. It really means a lot to us. Thanks to everyone who supported the show throughout the year yeah. at MaximumFun.org slash join. Uh, thanks to uh, to everyone who sent us a nice message uh, over the last 12 months. Uh, 2021, the worst year of my life. Yeah, it fucking sucked in a lot of ways. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people can say the same. We are hoping that things get better in the year ahead in that regard. So Yeah, uh, thank you to... The Card Daddy, Bill Tilly, who runs the at Greatest Trek accounts on Instagram and Twitter for us. Maybe he'll start an at Greatest Trek uh, TikTok someday. Who knows? Really? We're getting into TikTok now? Yeah. I'm, I'm just suggesting it, you know. As long as it's just Bill Tilly doing fun Bill Tilly things. Yeah, it'd probably just be like showing different uh, Star Trek figurines he has. You know what? It'll be a great channel. Who knows if, if it'll blow up the way Adam Ragusea's YouTube channel did. He went from uh, from hobbyist, YouTube, cooking enthusiast to incredibly popular uh, millions of viewers, YouTube yeah. kitchen enthusiast. And uh, he's a great friend of DeSoto. He has been for many years. And he's the one who makes the music for the show. Also on TikTok, Adam Ragusea. His, his TikTok is good. He's really good at everything. Follow us on Twitter. Use the hashtag GreatestGen. Join the Miriam groups of Friends of DeSoto all over the internet. There's DrunkShimoda.com. If you're a Discord-type person, there's GreatestGen.Reddit.com. If you're a Reddit-type person, there are Facebook groups for just about any intersectional or special interest group of uh, Greatest Gen Plus cooking or working out or whatever. Uh, You can find all of that stuff. If you're on the Peloton... Hashtag greatest gen. Oh, yeah. There's hundreds of, uh, of riders and, and fitness enthusiasts on the Peloton. And I'm riding many times a week, so look for me on there. I'm at Cup for Time. Uh, thank you so much to everyone uh, who listens, and uh, we hope you have a great new year. And with that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of the greatest generation Voyager that that dreams that it's reliving a podcast that isn't set in a bathtub. Hey, Adam. Not looking forward to this. Maybe we could go over to my in-laws and use their uh, and use their jacuzzi and record it that way. I don't want to be in the same tub as you. <laughs> oh, you're you're saying jacuzzi instead of tub? Yeah, instead of tub. You'd be like, some of these, some of these bubbles are smelly. Hey, it's your edit, man. I'm, I'm happy to do that. <laughs> I was just How? trying, I was trying to find a way to make it more palatable for you, buddy. 
How long is the longest you've ever been in a jacuzzi, though? Like, oh, could yeah. you do 90 minutes in a jacuzzi? I don't know. I think we'd die. It's a good thing that we can't land on a naked now and a fuck it, we'll do it live square. <laughs> that would be really bad. Yeah, uh, that would be an awful surprise for the programmers of this game to make possible, and I'm grateful that it hasn't happened. Yeah. Uh, lucky us. <laughs> yes. Happy New Year, Ben. Happy New Year, Adam. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.